everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. We are going to continue through 1 Peter. I would recommend that you have a Bible today. If you didn't bring your own, there are some in the back. And as you go back there, you might want to actually check the communion cup that you grabbed and shake it and make sure that there's a little piece of bread in there because apparently there are some quality control issues uh, in terms of the shipment of communion cups we received. They didn't all have crackers. Uh, the, if the Bibles run out, Steph, could you go grab, are you still in here? Could you go, Danny, there's some in the chat room. Could you just bring a couple back? Um, and when he comes back with them, if you want one and didn't get one, oh, there's still a couple over on that side, a couple more Bibles. Uh, last week, we did some circling and some like arrows, and I heard that that was kind of helpful. And I think that there is like a lot of us that are wired to just get our hands on a book and grab a pen too from the chair in front of you. And that'll, even as we listen to the scripture being read, like you can do some of your own underlining and circling, and maybe, maybe it will match the things I'm doing. But even if it doesn't, then you've like engaged with the scripture. So if you didn't get a Bible and would still like one, Danny has a couple, just raise your hand. He'll bring them to you. Um, But I'm going to invite my buddy Jonah up. Jonah and I teach in the K through third room occasionally. He's going to be reading from... First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So, as I said, listen either with your Bibles open and pen in hand or in a place where you can hear the words that are being read. You want me to check that for you? Looks like, there you go, yeah. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face, face God, who stands ready to judge everyone both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live former with God in the spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonah. You take that with you. That's fine. But could you grab me that pen and bring it up to me? What we're going to do now is we're just going to spend one minute in silence. Now, again, you can do that with your Bibles open and continue to kind of just 
look at the scripture that was read, or you can use it just as a time to center yourself and quiet your mind and turn your attention toward God. So come Holy Spirit, we turn our hearts to you. So Jesus, send your kingdom, bring your peace, fill us with hope, strengthen us and sustain us. Amen. I'm continued to be struck by how noisy the world is and how noisy my week is and even how noisy my morning was and to create space uh, to sit in the presence of God together is something that the church has called like the, the big C church the church historically the church globally has called a spiritual discipline and it's not because our effort does something so amazing but the discipline of creating space for God to meet us to open up our hearts and our minds and our moments to him and to just take a breath and uh so as we continue in this first peter series i kind of want to remind you where we've come we're we're getting close to the end it's hard to believe this is a nine-week series and this is already the seventh <laughs> so there's today and two more um and there have there have basically been three main sections in the body of this letter with the big theme of hope. Like what does it look to have a living hope and how do we live out that hope? But as we, we got into the body of the letter, there are three sections. First of all, how do I live a holy life? Second of all, how do I live a life that is surrendered, which is very countercultural, to actually submit uh, to serve and respect those who do not hold the same values as you do or beliefs as you do, who don't live the same way as you do, to, to still or yet live in a place of submission because we are ultimately surrendered to Jesus our King. The third section of First Peter, which we really got into last week, we, we bridged sections, was, is all about suffering. And so I don't know if you noticed, but in that very first verse that Jonah read, suffering, the word suffering showed up three times. So in case you weren't sure what we were talking about today, it's suffering with hope and how to do it and what to remember through it. 
And this is Peter. This is one of the dearest friends of Jesus, one of his 12 disciples who was there when the soldiers showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, stand watch and pray, for the time is short. And we hear those words echoed here in Peter's letter to uh, exiles and pilgrims scattered throughout the Roman Empire when he says, the end of the world is coming soon, so be steadfast and earnest, or be disciplined and earnest in your prayers. Did you kind of catch that? This is the Peter who, when Jesus calls him, he has the name Simon. But at one point, Jesus says, I'm going to call you Rocky from now on. I've been waiting to tell that joke for like the last six weeks. And I actually asked Jonah today to, t- to speak uh, the words here in the, the Rocky accent. So it would be like, hey, yo, then, suffer Christ, just as Christ suffered physical pain, so you <laughs> arm yourselves. Anyway, that was the worst Rocky impression in the room, I'm sure. But... Uh, I should warn you that I, I just subscribed to a, a streaming service that shall not be named, but I've been watching a lot of movies, which I sort of took a break from watching movies, but like I, I watched the Batman movie, the new one, anyone seen that? It's a few of you. Uh, I'm re-watching Lord of the Rings, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple other mo- Dune. I like. I had to do some catch up. Like I haven't watched movies in two years, so I needed to watch Dune and the new Harry Potter movie. And anyway, so I'm just warning you that this might come up uh, throughout. Anyway, the Rocky thing. Uh, Jesus. Jesus says, I-, "I call you Rocky because you have actually stood on the bedrock truth that I am the Messiah." I build my church on the good news, on the message that everything you have hoped for, the person you have been seeking, is me. So if there's anything to remember today, it is this. Look to Jesus, who is our living hope. When you suffer, do not be surprised, but look to Jesus. In the theme of suffering, there is the question that every thoughtful Christian asks at some point, and every non-Christian levies as an accusation against Christians, and that is, why is there suffering in the world? If God is so good, if Jesus sits on the throne, if Jesus is king, if Jesus has actual authority, why is there suffering in the world? This passage is not trying to answer that question. This passage assumes that it's true. It holds the tension of Jesus is king and there is suffering in the world without trying to resolve that tension, without trying to answer that question. And the kind of suffering that Peter is addressing specifically here is not actually the suffering in terms of, you know, I went for like a 25-mile bike ride, uh, was this Friday, Saturday morning, and I know that's not long by many of your counts, but it's the longest I've ever ridden a bike. And I was in pain afterwards. Like my gluteus maximus was in major trouble. It was kind of a pain in the butt. But, uh, <clears throat> but I go home and I eat ice cream and I feel worse. <laughs> I thought it would make me feel better. I'm not talking about either self-inflicted pain or like the pain that we're, we all face of like, you know, I, 
I have a diagnosis now and it's cancer and how could a good God allow this to happen? Uh, it's not trying to answer that question, but I think there's only one question that's harder to answer than the why would a good God allow suffering? And that is, how could we possibly endure suffering if there is no God? The harder question to answer than why would a good God allow suffering is, how could we endure suffering without God? And so again, the main thing to remember today is that when you suffer, look to Jesus. And with that in mind, I want to uh, have you get your pens out. And I just, I want to mark up your Bible a little bit uh, so that it'll be easier to reference. But you see right from the beginning in verse 1, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must, I want you to underline, arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. And this is a big deal. So even if you look here, I like put a star before the word arm and after the word had, like This is a big idea. And then if you jump down to verse 2, it kind of goes into one of the byproducts of suffering uh, with Jesus. It says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, so underline your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God, and now underline the will of God. Uh, So in other words, the way that God can use suffering is that it helps purify or cleanse you. And we'll return to that idea in a minute. If you jump all the way down to verse 5, circle the word judge. Do you see it in verse 5? But remember that they will have to face God, those who uh, basically slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone. So circle the word judge. Then jump down to verse 7, circle verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. And then circle verse eight and nine as well. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Then in verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Underline everything from great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Underline that and then circle the word words, great variety, okay? There's, that's kind of an interesting little thing to remember. Um, so, now that you have something to look at that you've done with your own hand, let's jump back to the beginning. <clears throat> so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves. Now, if that was the end of the sentence, it would mean something very different than it means. Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves. And so you would end up with a life that instead of, uh, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also, you would strike them back. If someone challenges your character, then you would gossip about them. When you feel misrepresented, then you would do everything you could to turn that person or that thing into like an evil, villainous enemy. And I, I will say, like, if you're someone who is a minority in any way, odds are, as you watch television, as you overhear conversations, you hear people say things or see things, see people misrepresenting who you are. And that's not 
right. So what, what I think and what I've noticed is that this is actually happening more and more with people who follow Jesus. And so don't be surprised. Uh, if, you, if you have a friend who's like a, an ethnic minority, ask them about it. Like, have you ever felt misrepresented or caricatured? Uh, but you find this for followers of Jesus too. So many of you have watched The Office. And uh, of course, the person, the Christian in The Office is who? Angela is the Christian in the office. This is just one example. It, it is really hard to find in a television show a Christian who is portrayed in a positive light. But Angela is just a great example. Angela is uptight. She is judgmental. No, like, does, any, does anyone here want to be more like Angela? No. I mean, it's just, it's such a caricature. So you watch that and maybe you feel this little twinge of like, that's not me. And though that's not the Christians I know. This is a feeling that if, again, if, if you're any minority, you've probably experienced this over and over and over again, right? Um, and so the, the question that's being answered here is then how should we respond when we are misrepresented? Do we lash out? How do we arm ourselves? How do we react? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, insult for insult. If someone takes, you know, your cloak, then you take their cloak and kick them in the shins? Or do you give them your tunic and your cloak? I mean, the teachings of Jesus get imported here for sure. And first, Peter doesn't stop it. So then since Christ suffered, suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves. It says you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. And that's actually a really interesting metaphor there, isn't it? The idea of getting out your shield, putting on your armor. The idea is here more like armor. Um, so just for instance, you know, Captain America has his shield but instead of being made of, oh shoot, what's it made of? Vibranium, yes, thank you. I'm so glad that you guys are here to help me. <laughs> instead of being made with vibranium and having like the stars and stripes on it, your shield is the attitude of Jesus. I mean, does that strike you as radical and surprising? It does, especially if you know anything about the attitude of Jesus. So flip over quickly, keep a finger or a hand in First Peter 2, and jump to Philippians chapter 2. I've actually, I can't remember if I read this recently, but this is one of those passages that whenever I hear attitude of Jesus, immediately my brain sparks, and I think of Philippians chapter 2. And there's, there's some evidence that this was like a hymn or part of like a church service that would have been known throughout the early church and been on the hearts of people. And so as people re reflect on Jesus' life, on the incarnation, the fact that God would take on human flesh and then God in that human flesh would empty himself and take on the form of a slave or a servant. So there's a story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. His like toward the end of his life, his disciples are like, okay, are we ready to pick up our swords? They're like antsy to start the war that they've been waiting for. And instead, Jesus gets on his knees 
and does something that is below their own dignity, that something only the, the lowest slave would do. He washes their feet. And then he goes and dies on a cross. When we think about the attitude of Jesus, we think about those stories, or the early Christians did at least. Maybe, maybe we're, uh, f- we lived for a little too long in a Christian majority culture where we had like significant power and influence. You know, we were the, the ones in the, in the room that kind of garnered respect. But I don't know, I, I think this is pretty true. It used to be that pastors and Christians had places of respect in like the general attitudes. I don't, if you meet a pastor on the street, do you think, oh, there's a good guy? Or do you think, I don't know about, I wonder if you're the real deal or not. Like, do you wonder, like when you see a pastor, is he the real deal or is he one of those frauds? Like that's, that's the world we live in. But the response is to arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. So first, well, not first Philippians. There's only one Philippians. This is, this is Paul writing to the Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. For you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He emptied himself. He took on the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. There's that word again. In obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And if you see in verse 9, therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name that is above every name. But it is in the humble service, the emptying, the laying down of power, that real eternal like glory comes. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. Here's my Batman reference. <clears throat> I'm not going to give anything away here. I don't think that's important. And I'm not, I don't even know that I'd recommend the movie. It's like kind of dark and <laughs> creepy. The Batman movie is, uh, the new one is, it's just kind of depressing. Anyway, so toward the end of the movie, Batman's in this like big arena Imagine, um, where do the Warriors play? Chase Center? Okay, so the, the Warriors are playing, like the, the setting is like this big kind of NBA arena, and there's this battle happening up in the rafters, and Batman's beating up the bad guys, because you know that's what Batman does. Uh, and then he looks down, and there's all these people who have come and taken refuge in the, in the lower section like the lower parts the on the ground part of the arena and there's this flood that's coming and uh, there's a bunch of debris that's fallen and people are trapped and they're going to be swept away by the flood and so what batman does is he stops beating up the bad guys and he jumps down into the water and chooses compassion instead of might. And that's the thing that actually makes the difference. 
So I'm watching this, and I'm, you know, I am who I am, and I watch movies maybe just a little different than you do. I'm like, that's the incarnation. Batman is, is representing the incarnation. Like, he, he left his place of, you know, where he's like, he's, I mean, he could beat up anybody up in the rafters, but he goes down into the waters, and he extends a hand to the people who need saving. Arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had, Jesus, not Batman, Jesus' attitude. And be ready to suffer too. The kind of suffering that Peter is talking about here is the kind of suffering that you will face if you are a follower of Jesus because you carry a a message of truth that is offensive to many people, that uh, people will consider intolerant even though it is a message of love it is also a message of absolute truth. Uh, Peter says something interesting in chapter 3. He says, uh, even if you suffer for doing what is right. Some of you actually know what this is like. So you might, may, maybe, like if you're in a school context, you've been teased or beat up because you've said, you know, I believe in Jesus. Uh, but if, if you're in a work context, there's probably been a moment where doing the right thing has led to ridicule from people by you taking an ethical stand, like I'm not actually going to fudge these numbers, there's been a reaction. You have suffered for doing good. You do the right thing and there's like a reaction where you get slandered or you get criticized or demoted. My, my father-in-law, one of his sayings is, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. You, you probably actually have experienced that. I do the right thing because at the end of the day, you might be my boss, but Jesus is my king. And sometimes people lose jobs over stuff like this. So when you suffer for doing good, just remember, this is the words of Peter, God will reward you for it, so don't be afraid of their threats. When we suffer, there's kind of like two ways that we can go that are not taking on the attitude of Christ. You can have a failure of nerve or you can have a failure of heart. Those are the things we're trying to avoid. The failure of nerve is that we uh, basically just give in to the peer pressure. We don't do the brave thing, we do the easy thing. Maybe it's because of our anxiety or maybe it's because everybody else is anxious and we just don't wanna like deal with their reaction. Maybe it's because we're afraid. That would be a failure of nerve. But the failure of heart is equally as deadly, and this, I think, is as likely to happen when we suffer. We become cynical. We stop loving. We stop caring. We have been let down by people, and so we just come to expect that people will always let us down. If we've suffered for doing right, we stop seeing as people as, as, as in need of love and as loved by God, and we start seeing them as like kind of annoying cogs that we have to deal with, especially in traffic. I always think it's funny when people tell, say they hate traffic. I'm like, you know, those are, those are people. There's people in those cars. You don't like, what you're saying is you don't like people. I mean, it's, it may be true, uh, but that's not the attitude of Jesus. 
Let's, uh, let's see if we can get through verse two and then I'll like, I'll try to wrap up here. We, we literally got through one verse. <laughs> I want to I get through the passage before I wrap. Uh, I know time is short. You underlined your own desires and the will of God. It is not bad to have desires. The kind of desires that Peter is talking about here are like the hyper desires, the desires that take over your life, the desires that you live for and will actually uh, lay down your values, ethics, and beliefs for because they've taken such a prominent place in your heart. Uh, you might think of these as desires like Gollum has for the one ring. It becomes his precious. It's all he can think about. He lives for the ring. He finds meaning and purpose in the ring. Maybe you live for the weekends, or maybe you live for the money, or maybe you live for the, the entertainment value of a thing. They've competed with the will of God in your life. Instead of conforming to the love of God, you've kind of oriented your life around a thing or a person, a good thing perhaps even, because don't forget that sex is good and money is good. And uh, well, Peter here warns us, you have had enough of the past, in the past of evil things, this is verse three, that people enjoy their immorality and their lust, their feasting, food is good, their drunkenness, Wine can actually be good too, like can be enjoyed unless it's taking a place of like hyper desire in your life. There's a difference between enjoying a drink and living for the drink, you know, and wild parties. Parties are good. You know who went to a lot of parties? Jesus. Speaking of the attitude of Jesus, okay, (laughs) and their terrible worship of idols. So the question here is, do you desire what God desire? desires. To love like Jesus actually includes the like, I want what God wants. The word love to like, am am I willing to sacrifice to lay down my life for the good and flourishing of other people is another way to phrase that God sacrifices for the good and flourishing of people. And so that's, that's the invitation here. Will you lay down those hyper desires those over, overwhelming, overpowering desires in order to live for God? Or will they win in the end? They, they are powerful because they are good, but they cannot become ultimate. Okay. The idea is that when we suffer and when, in, when we suffer, when we look to Jesus, that there's actually a purification that happens like tempered steel. You know how steel becomes stronger? It's put under heat. It's put under pressure. If you heat up steel and if you hammer it, it'll actually become more flexible and less likely to break when, uh, like an out- when suffering comes. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that's the idea. Like God is forming us to become people who will, become, will be both more flexible and stronger if we look to him as we suffer. So now, three things to remember and three things to do. And I'll basically just list these off. So if, if you, at the top of your page, if you have your Bible, say, remember A, B, C, and live one, two, three. And then uh, someday you'll open up your Bible and be like, oh, I remember that day when we learned about 
what to remember when we suffer and what to do when we suffer. First thing to remember, put a little A by the word hope. Now, this is in chapter 3, verse 15. Put a little A there. Remember your hope. Remember the reason for your hope. Remember that, as it says in verse 18 of chapter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home for God. And in verse 22, if you, if you were here last week, there's actually little arrows. Are those still there in your Bible? Were you there? Remember, as part of your hope, Christ has gone to heaven and he is seated, seated in a place of honor next to God. And all angels and authorities and powers accept this authority. Remember the reason for your hope. This is actually very close to the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, but he was raised to life and sits at the right hand of God. So remember your hope. B, put your B by that verse 7 of chapter 4. The end of the world is coming soon. Well, that's optimistic, isn't it? (laughs) No, it's not maybe optimistic, but it's hopeful. Because draw a little arrow up from the end of the world is coming soon to the world word judge. Because God is the judge. And Jesus is returning. Again, our real hope is in Jesus. The fact that he died. The fact that he freed sinners from their guilt. The fact that he sits with God. And the fact that he will return. There is hope in the fact that he will return and he is your judge. Your friends who slander you. Or maybe the people who used to be your friends who slander you. They are not your judge. So why do you keep living for them? Your boss is not your judge. So ultimately, your main goal in life is not to please him. Actually, neither is your spouse. Your spouse is not your judge. And so you can tell in a moment, if you have really let the reality of Jesus being your judge sink in, when you face criticism, even if it's from somebody you love and who you're close to, Do you react as if they are your judge? Or do you react as if God is your judge? How might that look different? Answer that for yourself. I'm going to keep going. Remember, number C. Oh, we forgot to underline something down here. Oh, well. Okay, so in verse uh, 11, it's kind of a long verse. But in the middle, it says, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Underline that. Do you see that? It's kind of like right in the middle of verse 11. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies and put a C there. Remember that God is the one who strengthens you in times of suffering. He gives you, he will give you what you will need. You actually, I I mean, I'm a wimp, I guess. I'm like a wimp when it comes to suffering. After that bike ride, I couldn't even get off the couch. But, But like... I need to tap into a strength that is bigger than myself in order to endure suffering. So remember, A, B, C, live one, two, three. Uh, in verse 10, the seven, verse 10, seven, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So put a little one by that. But I would say also, if you go back to verse 15 of chapter three, so chapter three, verse two. Uh, 15. Like, keep worshiping and keep praying. If there are patterns in your life, I hope that we have like disciplines where we like read our Bible and pray on not Sunday. But the temptation is when we suffer to just stop doing those things because we don't feel like doing those things. 
But even if you, like, if you keep doing them, what will happen is you'll find strength. And you might not even know it until you've gotten through the suffering. You'll look back and you'll think, wow, it was the fact that I kept worshiping and kept praying. That That was how God strengthened me. And so maybe it's coming to church. Keep coming to church because, you know, we do at least two things here <laughs> every week. We worship and we pray. And you listen to me talk for 30 minutes. And hopefully that is good too. But like keep worshiping and keep praying. Those are things that even if you don't feel it, you can sit and you can be part of a group of people worshiping. There are prayers that you can read. I don't know what to pray. I don't have words. Well, there are prayers that you can read. Open up the book of Psalms. Uh, people who have been faithful to Jesus through times of suffering have written prayers that you can read. It's like a, I feel like it's like a Hallmark card that we send to God when we open up like a book of prayers. Like, I don't know what to say, but somebody said it for me because I don't have the words right now. Uh, so the Book of Common Prayer would be an example. Uh, but the Psalms are that way too. Like, they're prayers. And there's there's things and emotions there that are worth saying to God. Um, so, keep praying, keep worshiping, number one. Number two, verse eight of chapter four, most importantly of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. There's something really important about continuing to show love, to do something loving when you're the one suffering. It's, it's incredible. Like it, it works better than you would or could imagine. So if you're in a place of despair, like even, even giving to and hearing like the church raised $16,000 to help feed people across the world who wouldn't know where a meal is coming, like that, it's giving you something to live for. It's not necessarily the sort of thing that you would find in any good self-help book, right? Like if you're suffering, go and love somebody. Do something to love somebody. But here we have Peter saying, when you suffer, don't stop loving each other. Do, do things for people with that like sacrificial love. Number one, keep worshiping and praying. Number two, keep loving. Number three, remember in verse 10, we underlined... God has given us each of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. This is related to number two. It's just got a little bit of nuance. And the, word, the, the Greek word there, great variety, is sometimes uh, translated as manifold. But I don't, I mean, I don't even know what that means. I know that a car has a manifold or a couple of them. But, uh, and I don't know why they call them manifolds. Does anyone know why? I don't know if it's related. Anyway, manifold in the Greek here has the idea of like multicolored, like full spectrum, technicolor. And so while Paul will use the metaphor of the body, like some of you are hands and some of you are feet, and you serve people in your unique ways because God has gifted you with with things, like spiritual gifts, in particular, that are designed to serve each other. Here, Peter is using the metaphor of like technicolor. So the, the gifts of God are full spectrum. And like some of you, when, when God like pours his grace out on you, 
like it gets reflected in like this vibrant blue. And some of you, this deep, like yellow. Some of you are polka dotted, <laughs> you know, like some of the spiritual gift, you might have the spiritual gift that comes out as polka dots. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Leslie, I think has a polka dot set of spiritual gifts. Yeah. Uh, but the idea here is, is like, it's so counterintuitive. Like, I'm going through suffering, therefore, go live out your spiritual gifts. Lead people in worship. Pray for someone. If you're going through suffering, receive prayer. Do that. And pray for someone else. Encourage someone. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. Write a card. There's something that gets, it gets you out of the poor me, I had a bad day, and into the I am living for something, or more particular, someone greater. And I'm going to do that by praying and worshiping and loving and serving each other with the spiritual gifts that I receive from God. So let's stand. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. Let me pray for you. And then let's, uh, let's do one of the things in here <laughs> as we worship. So come, Holy Spirit. We want to bring you glory today. We want everything we do to bring you glory, whether it be loving or serving but now, as we worship, we want to actually bring you glory as we turn our hearts to you. We remember your beauty. We remember your suffering. We remember your love. And so come, Holy Spirit. We invite you here. We want to experience your presence. We want to hear your voice. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.